Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 73 for January 26th, 2012. So we are finishing up the Modella Imperative miniseries. And pretty uh, pretty good miniseries. I like it. Yeah, basically it's one issue miniseries, but they they broke it up into the two generations. Exactly. Interesting idea having a story cover, a, you know, a uh, hundred years, right? Ish, little over a hundred years. But uh, I, I, I've, I've enjoyed it, and I really enjoy these three issues. So I'm sure I'll, at least I'll have a lot of good things to say about it. <laughs> you think I won't? Well, I don't want to speak for you. There you go. There you go. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. So, uh, like I said, we have three issues. So you want to just jump straight into it, Ken? Please, let's do. All right, so first up is the Next Generation Modella Imperative number two. Um, its writer is Peter David. Uh, the artist is Pablo Marcos. Letterer, Bob Panaha. Colorist, Tom McCraw. And editor is Robert Greenberger. So the cover starts off, and it's uh, designed similar to how all the other Modella Imperative covers have been, with a character off to the uh, right side. And this issue, we get Troy. Uh, she's wearing her blue dress when she has her arms crossed over her chest, and she's looking slyly at the reader, like maybe she knows a secret. Uh, to the right of that is uh, a picture of Riker looking at the view screen which is depicting a smiling face of a Ferengi. And we see Data at his station looking back at, at Riker for some guidance. So the story starts off with the remembrances of Dr. McCoy. The focus of his thoughts is his past history with Spock and how he took it upon himself to make Spock lose his Vulcan veneer and just smile one time. He recalls all the other things he's seen Spock do, He's seen him in a murderous rage in a muck time. Uh, he's seen his face washed with relief as, as it was in that same episode when he found out that Kirk did not die. Uh, he sees him dying in Star Trek II and his eventual rebirth in Star Trek III. He realizes that despite all these events, the one thing that he was most happy to see is his old friend. Now we flash to the present, where old McCoy is speechless and tend forward, looking at Spock enter the room with Picard and Troy behind him. He is so pleased to see him that he gives the Vulcan a big, huge hug. Uh, and then the two of them go about bickering with one another, in classic Spock and McCoy style. This bickering causes Data to comment that they must really not be pleased to see each other. Riker corrects him and says he shouldn't believe that for one second. Not too far away, galactically speaking, Captain Lacey is taking her craft, the Tornado, to the Quapmok sector after dropping off Spock uh, at the Enterprise last issue. Her crew member informs her that it, a ship is incoming and it is not identifying itself. Unprovoked, the ship attacks the Tornado. Once the small craft is completely crippled, the 
unknown craft turns around and flies away before delivering the killing blow. Back on the Enterprise in Picard's ready room, McCoy is entertaining a large group of kids and pointing out to the model of a Constitution-class Enterprise saying that this was his first Enterprise. When some of the kids comment that that ship is so much smaller than the Enterprise D, McCoy makes a joke that it was indeed smaller and that everyone had to walk around slumped over. Uh, McCoy also points out that Vulcans were assigned to starships to take the place of children so that adults would have someone to yell at. And uh, both of these jokes go over like gangbusters with the children who are laughing merrily. On the other side of the wall, on the bridge, the laughter can be heard. Picard soon exits the ready room and ushers the kids into the turbo lift to get them out of his hair. Data informs the captain that they will arrive at Modella in nine hours. Still in the ready room, McCoy and Spock have a little time together to reflect on the command styles of Captain Kirk and Captain Picard. McCoy speculates that the two famous captains would not have gotten along very well. Spock asks McCoy which of the two captains would he rather uh, be in charge if there was a, uh, a crisis and if he had a choice. McCoy thinks about it for a while, and then he states that if he had to answer truthfully, he would like to have Spock in command. McCoy immediately brushes off the compliment, and the two of them soon start up their classic banter. On Modala, Stroika and his aide, Thermish, are overseeing the completion of the stage for the 100-year celebration. Thermish tells the leader that he should have put Oz and his followers into jail for their late-night demonstration in front of Stroika's house the, the night before. Stroika says that he did not see any value in that, but he says that they'll have to work harder to keep an eye out for any trouble during the celebration. Oz is seen eavesdropping on the two, and he says to himself, Good luck on that score, old man. Back on the Enterprise, Data and Spock are performing their various instruments to an enraptured audience. Once completed and after a standing ovation, Data inquires if he can try out Spock's leer. Spock is explaining how it takes years to master the instrument, to which Data just picks up the instrument and starts playing it flawlessly. Once he is done, he says that he was only imitating what he observed of Spock's playing. McCoy tells him he's just being modest, to which Data reminds him that he is incapable un of emotions. Riker mentions that Data is the 3D chess master on board the ship, and soon Spock and Data are playing a game right there on the spot with both players visualizing the board and the pieces. So we flash to sickbay, where a young boy is getting prepped for an appendectomy. He is scared, and he asks Crusher and Troy if the nice old doctor can come in and help calm him. Troy leaves sickbay to seek out the old country doctor. She finds him in the rec room watching the virtual chess game. Spock ends up beating the android by combining multiple chess strategies. Troy takes McCoy and Spock uh, back to sickbay. The boy is relieved that the two are there. He ends up telling on McCoy a bit by asking Dr. Salar if it's true that Vulcans are assigned to ships just so that people can yell at them. McCoy is saved from having to explain himself by the announcement that they have arrived at Modala. Troy, Spock, McCoy, and Picard beam down and meet with Stroika. Stroika informs them that they are about to 
watch a play that retails the events of the original Enterprise's uh, visit to Modala and how Kirk's and Chekhov's involvement have been embellished over the years due to not knowing the true origins of the two men. Before the play can start, Riker informs the captain that they've received an SOS from the tornado and that they're heading off to investigate. Once the play starts, the kids are performing the various parts of the evil government taking control and subjecting the people. Then two puppets of Kirk and Chekhov show up and kick down the prison walls. Before the play can continue, an explosion rocks the building. From the smoke, a group of five Ferengi appear, holding phaser rifles and light whips. The leader says that a hundred years ago, they gave the Modellans advanced weapons in return that the planet would eventually come under Ferengi rule and that they've come to collect to be continued. So, in a big explosion-filled entrance, we confirm our suspicions. If the cover didn't give it away. Yes. Well, as we discussed last week, <laughs> we pretty much knew it was coming. But, yeah, they came in with a bang. Yeah, they did. I just hope it was only the puppets that got hurt. I mean, got got exploded with that. There were kids up on stage too, but there was, and I couldn't. I I couldn't really understand why some some parts were being played by people and some parts were being played by puppets. Did you understand? Not really. I I figured. Hey, mandalas. Who knows? <laughs> It just seems that the puppets. I mean, because the puppets seem small. Yeah, they're they're not full size. I mean, right. The puppet Kirk, <laughs> with and I must say, accurate clothing. And facial structure. I mean, they. Yeah. Look, it looks like Kirk and Chekhov, kinda. Which is kind of weird because was somebody taking photos? I doubt it. Well, Stroika is a uh, artist, and I'm sure he just drew a little sketch one day. <laughs> Could yeah, be. I don't know. It doesn't I, make sense. I, I, I was struck with how accurate uh, <laughs> the puppets were. Yeah, I didn't even look at the clothing, but you're right. He's wearing the exact same clothes he wore in those those th four issues. Right. Good memory, striker. Just wondered, what did you make of McCoy telling Spock that he would prefer if Scott was in command over Picard and Kirk? Did you say Scott or Spock? Spock. Oh, well, okay. I intended to say Spock. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. I, I was just about to go back and reread it and go, oh, did I miss that? No. Uh, no, I, I actually thought that was kind of cool that you knew that Spock and McCoy have this – they really respect each other, but they can never admit it to one another. So sure. I kind of like that here You know, maybe McCoy lets his guard down a little bit. And... Right, and it is after all these years just the opposite of some thoughts that might have been going through McCoy's head uh, on the Galileo 7. But, um, but still, Spock to be in command over Kirk and, and Picard? I mean, mind you, he just met Picard. But Kirk? I don't know. Yeah, you, well, I don't know. Maybe he was being literal and, like, you're alive and Kirk's not, so I'd rather have you. <laughs> I wouldn't want a cadaver in, the, uh, in command. And, by the way, it was my mistake. He didn't just meet Picard. He met Picard four years ago. But. Right. But still, he doesn't know him. That well. Right. He only knows him by reputation for the most part. Right. No, I, I liked it. I thought it was a, a nice little moment. Um, there's a lot of those moments in these three issues, which, uh, you know, could be considered filler, but I just love it so much that yeah. I, I'm 
I don't look at it as filler. I just look at it as like little gems of those two, you know, just having some private moments. Yeah, I I, I agree. It's just that thing about having uh, him preferring in the end Spock to be in command. It's like, yeah, no, I didn't I'm like. I, I I I wasn't crazy about that. I mean, it seemed like a little kiss ass, quite frankly. But uh, <laughs> you know, it, it was it was probably coming. I, I guess he's saying it's coming from the heart. So yeah, it's the way McCoy felt. I don't know. It, it, it's unfortunate that you know we never really get to see Spock in command. He's always second fiddle to Kirk, even when he's a captain. He's always, you know, even when Kirk and Spock are both captains, both serving aboard the same ship, Spock's always second fiddle. Subservient. So uh, maybe, maybe after Kirk dies on the Enterprise B, that uh, maybe. McCoy and Spock work together, and McCoy saw that Spock really has the uh, Captain Chops. I don't know. I see what you're saying. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Sure, sure, sure. Just I mentioned it. Well, on page eight, right, right before that scene when when McCoy's entertaining the little kids, yeah, doesn't it look like he's pointing at a uh, refitted Constitution class Enterprise and not the original Enterprise? Let me go back to that because it wasn't the best. It wasn't the best. Yeah, it's a refit. That's not the original. So and I he know does that say, technically the original the Enterprise first. was refitted like right. that, but I don't know. It seems seems weird that that's the one he would point at. Yeah, I find that unusual. Now, are there? I mean, it, it's hard to tell, and maybe this is more towards the. Uh, you know, the trivia of what really was on Picard's wall from the TV show. Right. But, I mean, they did have, did did they actually have both the original with the round nacelles as well as the refit on Picard's wall? I don't know, because, you know, they never really show it. Up close. It's always just in the background. Yeah, and I always wanted to, I always wanted to be able to see if the, uh, you know, the Ambassador class Enterprise B was in there somewhere. Because at right. some point, even before Generations came out, it it was considered canon that the Enterprise B was a uh, Ex- Excalibur-class ship. So I always wondered if that was on the wall somewhere, too. Hmm, yeah. Well, you should see all of them. And the only exception would be, you know, if they had uh, the uh, only the post-refit right. version. Because technically speaking, you're right, it is the same physical ship. So pick one. Anyway, <laughs> minor point. But I mean, but but that's the way I always think of it. I think of the original Enterprise being the original Enterprise, and then the Enterprise A being the refit. Even though right. I know technically Ooh, the original point. Enterprise is that's right. both. Good point. So they should have had the A up there at least. So right. you should have seen the round A cells, the A, the B, the C, the D. But if we're really going to start, you know. If we're really going to start pulling this apart, we should see the NX-01 up there, too. <laughs> oh, well, that's... Uh, yeah, uh, just, I don't know. That's weird. Being funny, man. Or if you really want to get picky, you'd go back to the original, original NX. Original, original Enterprise. The battleship is up there. No, the experimental one. That they... the, the VS Enterprise? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, the Virgin Galactic one? No! No, the Virgin Galactic. Oh, oh, you mean the space shuttle one? No, I'm talking about the experimental one that came before NX-01. 
which... Oh, oh, which okay. is fight, only fight, in fight. the uh, ships of the line calendar. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I don't know if you count that as canon or not. Probably not, but it's pretty cool. It, it does look cool. It, it looks like the uh, doesn't it kind of look like the um, the phoenix? No, what is it? No, it's uh, it's kind of like a big a, a big round donut. Not not quite a donut, but but kind of like a piece of toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, toilet paper inside that's been cut down, so it's really oh, kind of oh, short. Oh, yeah, that's right. It looks kind of like a space station donut with a little thing in the middle, right? Uh, like, like a needle kind of thing coming out yeah, of it. Yeah, 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 right, I've seen right, that. Right. Yeah, I think that was actually one of the original designs for the Enterprise back back when they were making the show for the first time. Oh, really? Oh, well, yeah. that's interesting. Hmm. I mean, that painting that's in the uh, – that's in um, – the painting that's in that, that uh, calendar – is obviously a new painting. Yes, right. But if I'm not mistaken, the uh, that donut shaped design is also in, um, in Star Trek: The Motion Picture when Decker shows the Ilya robot all of the Enterprises, and you see. Oh my of, lord! Really? Yeah. Wow, there's a that's picture cool. Of the donut Enterprise there. Well, now I'm going to have to watch the for the movie. To see it shows that. The, it shows the space shuttle Enterprise, and then it shows that one too. I'm pretty sure. Right. Okay. Well, I got to go back and look. A reason to go back and watch it. There you go. The movie's not that bad. It's not that good, though. <laughs> it is disappointing that on on Blu-ray, the only way you can buy it is if you buy all the original movies. Every other movie has been released separately on oh, Blu-ray. Yeah. Except for that one. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. I just bought the whole thing on Blu-ray, so I right. looked for it individually. So how about the Raj and um, Sheldon? Uh, bickering about what was worse, uh, Star Trek V or the motion picture? I don't – was that a recent one? No. No, that's an old one. Uh, but it was funny how they were bickering back and forth about it. I, I could see cases for both. <laughs> As to which one is worse. I think five is worse, but yeah, my opinion. Okay, so uh, let's see what else. Getting back to this comic. Um, again, Peter David Flaunts' Star Trek Historian Credentials. I thought that was... On the first page or... No, just thing? in the whole comic. Okay, yeah. I mean, uh, definitely showing the older um, the older ships. Great. But then in, in, in other parts of this. Uh, 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 of this particular comic. Right. I thought, uh, that's fine. Cool. Great. He does love to do that. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, and I, I think this might be one of the last times we get Peter David stories for a while. Uh, huh. um, I thought Thermish, uh, the guy who was stroke his right hand, who was kissing his butt all the time. Yeah, he was kissing his butt all the time. Big time he was good at that. I thought he was actually in league with the Ferengis. At least oh, that's, did you? When I was reading this one, that's what I thought. And I don't want to ruin anything for anybody, but I thought he was in league with the Ferengi. Yeah, he does kiss up like a Ferengi would. Oh, he does. Yes, he does. Well, I thought Oz was going to be in league with him. Oh, really? Oh. So we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. But yes. but yeah, I. Uh, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but I think that's how we pronounced it last week. I was doing owls. 
Owls. But that doesn't sound very much, very nice. It's O W Z, right? O W Z, right? Owls, <laughs> which sounds ridiculous to say it. <laughs> Oz he, might sound didn't, better. Didn't, we didn't talk about how he looks, but he looks like you know um, Errol Flynn from Robin Hood. He Earth. does. You remember the uh, Flash Gordon remake? Uh, the one from the uh, 80s like the seventies or eighties or whatever. Exactly. So the Timothy Dalton character. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, looks, he looks, looks a little like that. Timothy Daltonish. Have you ever have you ever watched the movie Hot Fuzz with Simon oh, Pegg? Oh, with Simon Pegg. Uh yes, I did. I uh it was a while ago and I only saw it once and I didn't think, gosh, this is a fantastic movie. I thought it was okay. But uh I, I agree. But but when Timothy Dalton comes on yeah. for the first time, right. they play a little bit of the Flash Gordon music in the background. Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was funny. Which I'm like, like how many people really remember that he was in that movie? Uh, I mean, everybody's gonna remember him many. as James Bond, not as exactly dude from uh, dude from. I mean, he's not even Flash, Flash Gordon. Gordon. He's just no. But I remember that movie when I saw it. I like that guy better than I like Flash Gordon. What you know, the character? I thought he should be the hero, not this, not this blonde boy. Well, who was that? Sam Jones the Third or something like that? I don't know. I don't remember his name. Never saw him in anything else. It's just interesting that he played Flash Gordon, which is a comic book character, and then yeah. he also played the Spirit in a uh, in a made for TV movie. Oh, did he? Based on a comic book. So, did 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 he possibly play Doc Savage too? I don't know. Probably not. I don't think Ron, so. Ron Ron Ely played Doc Savage. Savage, I think. Okay. <laughs> All right, <sighs> but we're we're all of the map, all of the map here. We're we're yeah, we need to get back on page. Well, speaking uh, of getting on page, how about that 3D chess match played in Spock and Data's heads? Yeah, I think everybody's making a bigger deal out of that than it it really would have been. <laughs> okay, so Data's a computer, so I can dig on that. Uh and okay, Spock's a Vulcan, who's a who's a damned computer. But uh, I thought it was kind of cool. You thought it was cool? I thought the, the interaction was cool. I didn't buy that everybody would just be gathering around going, yeah, <laughs> and watching it because they don't know what the hell's going on. Oh, they're I not, wouldn't be able to follow it. They're not able to follow along. No, I would have no way. <laughs> I, I have a hard enough time following a normal chess match, much less 3D, much less in somebody's head. Right. No, I liked it. I liked that part. I just didn't buy that everybody would just gather around and watch it enraptured right. like that. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of that page, so that, that happens immediately after the little concert. Right. So at the concert, we see that Crusher is sitting next to McCoy, who's sitting next to um, Picard. All right, and so then the, the, the concert's over, everybody stands up, cheering, and then the chess match starts immediately. And then we see what else is going on at the same time, and we see that Crusher's there prepping this boy for an appendectomy. Oh, oh, right, 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 so good point. are we to believe that while everybody's cheering, she runs off and starts prepping this boy for <laughs> surgery, or that is this some sort of mistake? That's a mistake. Sorry. <laughs> Good catch, by the way. I just thought it was funny. I was like, boy, I, if I was that little boy, I would be nervous if my doctor just ran in from another room and just starts wanting to cut me open. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and you know, quite frankly, the idea that the uh, that the kids were that enraptured with what McCoy was saying, it's like, <laughs> okay. 
Okay. Whatever. He was just a, a, a nice old man. Well, I know, but my, the most nice old man, I don't know, when you're younger? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm not so sure that, that the kids are drawn to old, old people as much. But yeah, especially a 200-year-old man. That's kind of creepy. Not not cute. <laughs> he probably is a little scary looking. He, he looks like a pretty scary looking. He looks like a skeleton, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least they didn't. Yeah, I, I think they. I think they went for more accuracy. Like, what would a two hundred year old man look like? Uh, yeah, he doesn't look very good. But I will say that. I mean, other than his face, he looks okay, skinny and stuff. But still, right. Well, he looks just like he did in in Encounter at Farpoint. Yeah. The makeup they had on him made him look like that. Yeah. So I don't really have anything else except that Guinan is able to pick up a, a drink that McCoy drops from the other side of the room. She catches it before it hits the ground on page uh, four. Mm-hmm. And I just got to say, wow, that's amazing. Another mistake you found. I don't think it's a mistake. I, I didn't know It's just really that fast. Oh, come on. She doesn't want to have to clean it up off her floor. I keep a clean place going here. Anyways. But long story short, I love the Spock-McCoy banter. I agree. Oh, well, okay. So I'm looking at the the, the, pa- the two panels next to each other with uh-huh. Guinan in the first shot when he starts dropping it. Yep. And then Guinan grabbing it. Right. She doesn't, she doesn't look that far away from him. But, yeah. Right. I, I know. I'm, I'm maybe exaggerating a little bit. But, but... – it shows the stuff sloshing out of his cup when he drops it. Yet when right. she grabs it, it's still all in. Sloshing. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, right. And, and the attitude. That. That's all I'm saying. Right. And the attitude in which it's going, it looks like it's going to go completely over. So it's interesting how it righted itself. Must be a heavy bottom. <laughs> and still has something in it to uh, to be caught by her. Well, let's see. Yeah, that's all I got to say, too. All right. Moving along. Let's find out what happens next on the Modala. Okay, so this is uh, issue number three, and the title is Prior Claim. It was uh, published late August 1991. All the same folks are involved. Won't repeat it. The cover features data standing on the right side of the page in sync with all the other Modala imperative uh, covers. In the center is Picard and Ambassador Spock, in the center of the crosshairs of three Ferengi weapons. A nasty-looking Ferengi on the far left is pointing at Picard and Spock and appears to be ordering them to fire. On the Enterprise, Riker is making a log entry stating that they are answering a distress call from the freighter Tornado. It has come under attack. They will return to Madala after rendering aid to the Tornado as they have left some key personnel back on the planet. Worf points out with suspicion that the timing of the tornado's distress call would be advantageous if someone wanted to draw the Enterprise away from Odala during the celebration. Riker agrees that the possibility has occurred to him. Worf bringing this up supports Riker's suspicions. Riker gives the orders to increase speed to warp 6 to get to the tornado more quickly so they can finish dealing with them and get back to Modala as quickly as possible. Back on Modala, the five Ferengis on stage 
press their case that Madala is theirs, as per an agreement made 100 years prior with the Chrysaians, who were then in power. They say the current Modalan leaders and the Starfleet guests have no say in the matter. Stryka calls the daemon mad if he thinks he can just walk in and lay claim to Modala. The daemon says he is quite sane, and it's Stryka that does not have a grip on reality. Picard takes a shot at reasoning with the Frangis, saying any claims they make based on deals made with a former ruling class that has been out of power for a hundred years is worthless. Further, if they did make a deal with the Chrysaians for weapons they used to oppress their fellow citizens, then it's the Ferengi that are in violation of Federation law. The Ferengis are all laughing, and the daemon says that though they may have broken Federation law, they do not recognize it. And even if they did, what does Picard intend to do? Arrest them? Suddenly, from behind the audience, Owls and his people start shooting the relatively small contingent of Ferengis. The crowd starts to run out of the building to get away from the shooting. Suddenly, the Ferengi reinforcements beam down, many of them, to the stage and start firing at Owls and his people. Owls chides the crowd for running away and tells them to stand up to the Ferengis that die just as easily as anyone else. The much larger number of Ferengi bombard Owls's position that forces him and his people to fall back. As Picard makes his way out of the auditorium with the rest, he is hit in the head by falling parts of the building. He goes down. Troy notices the captain is no longer with them as they leave the uh, auditorium. She feels him losing consciousness. Spock goes back in to retrieve him. As Picard is being trampled by the panicking Madalans, a Ferengi spots him. As he moves in to grab the fallen Picard, he says the daemon will be most pleased to capture such a valuable prize. His delight turns to surprise when Spock knocks him out with his patented Vulcan neck pinch. Spock pulls Picard up and puts him over his shoulder as he makes his way out of the building. Once out of the building, another Ferengi almost takes Spock and Picard out, but Owls himself clubs the Ferengi from behind and offers to get Spock and Picard out of there. Spock takes him up on the offer. Elsewhere, in a Medallin government building, the daemon is behind a desk, yelling at his peons to find Picard and the other Federation people. He says they need Picard and the others as hostages when the Enterprise returns. The lead peon states that they do not have Picard, but they do have other valuable hostages. He claps and they bring in McCoy and Troy. The daemon is not impressed at first. An old man and a woman. No Picard and no Vulcan ambassador. When he recognizes Troy as being kin to Luxana Troy, he is even more displeased. Last time a Ferengi tried to take Luxana, Picard nearly killed them all for taking his beloved woman. Now that they have Luxana's daughter, Picard will surely blow them to kingdom come. Drag... The daemon's number one says 
maybe this can work to their advantage. If Deanna Troy means that much to Picard, he will come for her. And when he does, they can capture him and the Vulcan. The Daemon is impressed. He thinks this could work. So they put McCoy and Troy in prison with the other Medallins they have captured. For his quick thinking, the Daemon promises that when it's time to strip Troy, Crag can have the honor. Elsewhere, Picard awakens to arguing between Owes and Stryka. Owes knocks Stryka down, and Stryka manages a painful kick to the small of Owes's back. Picard is able to rise up and separate the combatants. He chides them for fighting with each other when their people are looking to them for leadership at a critical time. Picard sees Spock and notices Troy and McCoy are not among them. He asks where they are, and Owes tells him they are in the hands of the big-eared cretins. He asks Picard, who the heck are they? Picard explains the Ferengi are a race entirely motivated by greed. They apparently are the ones that gave the Christians the advanced weaponry in exchange for ownership of their entire planet 100 years hence. Stryka makes his opposition known, and Aus chides him for his observing the Ferengi did not ask for his permission. They establish that they are in the sewers under the city, whose use was discontinued 80 years ago when better methods for waste disposal were implemented. Meanwhile, in the Medallin prisons, McCoy, Troy, and the others are being held in. Deanna and the Admiral are seated and talking. McCoy comments on how 100 years ago he came to Medalla on a rescue mission and ended up imprisoned. 100 years later he comes to Medalla as an invited guest and ends up imprisoned. He tells Deanna there's less than that. She asks what that could be and he replies, Stay the hell out of Medalla! Good joke. McCoy expresses boundless confidence that as long as Picard and Spock are running around out free, they will find a way to get them out. Troy comments on her discomfort with how the Ferengi guard is looking at her, to underscore the precarious position they are in. In the sewers under the city streets, Picard, Stryka, Owes, and his people are devising a plan to use the sewers to get into the Justice Building. Stryka thinks McCoy and Troy are being held there in the building's holding cells. They need to go through several yards of wall between the sewer and the basement levels of the building without being detected. Owls will bring the weapons. Meanwhile, the Enterprise has found the disabled freighter Tornado. They discover the attack had no apparent purpose, and when the Tornado was disabled, the attackers departed in a hurry without a word. Through visual records of the attack, they recognize the Ferengi ship. They take the time to bring the Tornado's cargo and crew on board, and when complete, they plan on returning to Medalla with all due haste. Picard, Spock, Stryka, and some rebels at the sewer junction point with the Justice Building are ready to fire their energy weapons into the wall. In the meantime, while they're doing that to cover the noise of the entrance, Owes and the rest of his people have started their diversionary attack at the street level. Picard gives the command to fire! Picard and the others make their way through the open wall. 
As they walk unmolested through the Justice Building, Spock and Picard grow suspicious at how easy their passage through the building has been so far. They turn the corner and they hear the voice of the Daemon welcoming them. He and his thugs are holding McCoy and Deanna with gun barrels to their head. He invites them to put down their weapons or things are likely to get bloody. To be continued. Oh, wow. How are they going to get out of this one? I don't know. Because those guns are pointed right at their heads. It's not like you can do a Nick Nolte headshot or something. Uh, you know, to free the, the, to free the two prisoners. Uh, yep. What's a Nick Nolte headshot? Uh, like in uh, 48 Hours. Ah, uh, okay. I, I haven't seen that in a long time. It's been a while. It's an old movie. But I'm an old man. So, yes. <laughs> no headshots. So, uh, what will they do? What will they do? I guess we'll have to wait till next month to find out, won't we? Or in this case, uh, hopefully less than 20 minutes. Oh, <laughs> we'll wow. see how long it takes us to comment on it. <laughs> I really don't have that many comments, but... I don't either. My big one is <laughs> he gets the privilege of stripping Troy once it's all over. Yowzers, that's all I got to say. Well, uh, yeah, and implied it's going to be more than just stripping going on. Yeah, that's a little rough, I think. It is rough. Um, and let me let me just say that I never took the Ferengis as much of a threat in Next Gen. I mean, yeah, they had those, like, some kind of neuronic whips or something going on and stuff. But right. they were never that big. And they weren't particularly muscular. And, you know, in a one-on-one, mano-a-mano fight, a human could kick their butts in general. So I really never took them that. I mean, even though I knew they were ruthless and that kind of stuff. But... In these comics, they are not drawn like they... Well, many of them. I mean, the Damon's pretty much the same way as any Frank we've seen before. But his thugs, his number one, those guys, they're all unusually tall and pretty big. And this number one crag guy, he's got big old muscles. He's got the, the, you know, the Chuck Norris uh, shirtless, uh, <laughs> you know, sleeveless shirt on. And he's even got some kind of animal fur thing on over his, his, his shirt or sleeveless shirt. You know, he's pretty, you know, he's pretty buff. Right. And, and, and him in particular getting uh, dibs, uh, I assume raping dibs on Troy. Eh, that's not, that's not too cool. That's not too cool. <laughs> No, they, these guys are, are are pretty nasty. Yeah. And, and if you remember, like in first season Star Trek The Next Generation, they're always talking about how nasty the Ferengi have been over the years. Uh, but then when we see them, I don't remember. It, ta- it doesn't take too long before they really soften them up and they end up being what we see in Deep Space Nine. Right. Which are kind of likable teddy bears. Right. Especially they're, they're the comic Nog. relief. No, definitely comic relief, especially what Nog. Nog and Quark and... Right, yeah. Well, at least Quark is, is devious and that kind of stuff. You don't think yeah. he's going to hurt you, but, you know, he's got a little bit of uh, nastiness. But uh, Qu- um, Nog, I mean, he's he's pretty much total comic relief, at least in the first couple seasons. Right, before he becomes an engineer. Exactly. And he, <laughs> he and marries Darrow's... the Dabo girl. Exactly. Boy, <laughs> she was hot. She was cute yeah. when they first introduced her, but later on, uh, she became a little bit more, you know, comfortable with her life. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I never can take uh, even Quark too seriously. Yeah, yeah. 
Right. So, and, and even the Grand Nagus and all the other uh, Ferengi that were introduced in Deep Space Nine, they, right. they're all there for comic relief. Yeah. Moogie and, and everybody. Ah, Moogie. <laughs> right. So I'm assuming that this whole rip their clothes off thing is, is uh, they're referencing that females on Ferenginar don't wear clothes. Um, but I, I kept thinking, well, Beta Zeds don't wear clothes a lot of the times too, so maybe she's not going to mind sitting in her jail cell naked as much as the Ferengi thinks she's going to. Right. And at first it did seem like it might have been just disrobing, but as we'll see coming up, the impression is that it's not just disrobing. Exactly. But I did like, I mean, since we're talking about that scene, I, I did like the references to Picard being in love with Luxana. Oh. <laughs> and that he's going to go into this jealous rage because they have her daughter. Right. That, that's that's a good nod to that episode. I, I thought it was a bit strained, especially when they started saying that, you've heard the rumor mill, blah, 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 you know. Picard will kill us all. It's like. <sighs> oh, you didn't like that? I, I well, it was okay. I just thought it was a bit strained. I think they had a, I think he had to talk quite a bit to tell the story and justify how he knew about it. Uh, but no, it was fine. It was good. It was, it was it was a nice nod. Another, you know, Star Trek historian uh, reference. Right. So I, what I want to know is, um, how long have the Medallins been a member of the Federation, and they know nothing of Frangies? A hundred years. Uh, so they be. Oh, well, okay. So they have their freedom oh, no, 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 for 100 no, no, no. years. The, the liberation was 100 years ago. Right. I, I don't know that we know exactly when they became. I don't know I don't know that they mentioned it. Yeah, I don't think they gave an exact number. They just said sometime right. after that. Right. So maybe it was more recent. So they, you know, there's a lot of races in the Federation, you know, so and, and um, you know, neighboring people that are not part of the Federation. Right. But uh, they seem, and maybe it's just ours because he's just a local rebel, you know. You know, maybe uh, Stryka, who, being leader of their people, must have had more uh, contact with the Federation. Uh, maybe he has a better idea. But I just, you know, members of the Federation not knowing of the Ferengi. It just struck me odd at first, but maybe not. Yeah, and, and again, I just keep harping on that. I, I don't think the uh, Ferengi were around 100 years ago. Right, well, at least not in the Federation stories we've seen. Right, and I'm pretty sure they make... They make reference in that first season of Deep. Uh, I'm sorry, the first season of Next Generation that that the Ferengi didn't show up until you know fairly recently. Ah, well, I don't remember that, but could be, could be. I thought the conflict, which by the way I didn't mention that in my synopsis, but there was a page of conflict between Riker and Captain Lacey that I thought was kind of unnecessary, so I didn't even bother mentioning the synopsis. Um. Lacey was saying, hey, we shouldn't go to Madala. We should get this food to the uh, to the people of whatever that planet was because they're, like, dying of starvation and stuff. And mm -hmm. then, then Riker basically says, uh, screw you, it's my ship. So uh, so that was cool. You know, okay, Riker standing up to the, uh, to the whoever. Um, but it really wasn't necessary. Right. And, and, and I think Riker's a little harder than... I can't imagine him really saying that he's going to make her walk. <laughs> Perhaps you, we could leave you here with your supplies and you can walk there. It basically, I think, is what he said. 
Right. So, well. uh, it seems a little out of out of place. Right. Right. But it was funny, so oh well. Yeah, and yeah. we know that Peter David likes to put in a joke or two. Exactly. And we know Riker, when he has to, sticks, uh, you know, yeah, can hold his own with uh, with a feisty lady. Oh, you mean you're talking about how he matched wits with Shelby? Uh, wits and, I don't know, forcefulness? You know, uh, blind aggression? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, there, there was that... And by the way, that's one of the elements I really liked about that episode. Uh, putting, putting, you know, kind of pulling Riker down and have him even question himself why he's still on the Enterprise, just to bring him up, bring him up to the to the height of his career or any Starfleet captain's career in the in the second episode. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I liked it. I, I really liked those two episodes. No, I really only have one other comment, and that's <laughs> just that out of all the. Next Generation covers, I think this one was the best. Oh, the best? Oh, boy. Oof. Yeah, I mean, it's the only one that actually has something that, that was actually in the, in the episode, oh. in issue. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. Oh, you're glad you like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it really does give you uh, a sense of, uh, of dread because they actually were in a bad situation. And it's still, and I like the way they depicted Data. Where in the next issue, I don't like the way they depicted Riker. Oh, the the last cover. Yeah, he he looks kind of wimpy and unsure of himself or something. I don't know. <laughs> but we'll talk about that in a minute. We will. Well, the only thing I had left to say really wasn't a big big thing, but I just wanted to say that that big old chunk of uh, building that fell on Picard's head, <laughs> that beam. That well, a beam or whatever it was, it was pretty big. It was a good thing, and it knocked him. It knocked him out. It's a good thing that uh, somehow it was not bad enough that all he has to do is put a white, you know, take a little nap, put a white bandage on for the rest of the issue, and uh, right. he's fine. He's, he's fine. all good. He's all. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Well, they, he has to wear the the bandana so that he looks a little bit like Rambo or something. <laughs> Especially when he's crawling out of the hole in the wall. Right. Uh, looking kind of burly. Well, you know, Patrick Stewart is quite buff well, when when he gets his shirt off. <laughs> well, he's not a huge man. No, he's not. No. That's all I have to say. All right. Well, then we'll jump into Modala 4 and uh, try to wrap these things up. Uh, all the writing and art staff is the same. Uh, this came out, uh, I think, late October 1991. And it is entitled Game, Set, and Match. Yes, indeed. So the cover shows a somewhat sleepy-looking Riker to the right side of the page, kind of hunched over with his hands drawn up into fists, but uh, with like a sad, sleepy puppy dog look on his face. Uh, the rest of the page shows a surprised Troy performing a Vulcan nerve pinch on a equally surprised human guard. And then behind them is an old man who is supposed to be McCoy but looks absolutely nothing like him. So the story starts off with the uh, Enterprise uh, bridge. Riker is informing Admiral Puglessy about why he's not taking the Tornado's cargo of food stuff straight to Quapmok. 
The Admiral seems to be siding with Captain Lacey until Riker explains that they believe Ferengi might be involved and that there might be something going on on Madala. Uh, never explains that he maybe actually tried to contact Madala or anything, but uh, that's just beside the point. Uh, once the Admiral hears this about possible Ferengi involvement, he gives Riker his blessing and closes the communication. Riker then orders the removal of Lacey off his bridge. We flash to the planet where Picard and his group of people are stunned to see the Ferengi holding McCoy, Troy, and others by phaser point. Stroika notices that Owls is with them, and he assumes that Owls is there because he ratted them out instead of performing his distraction. Owls uh, claims that he was captured when he was trying to perform his distraction and that he would never betray his planet regardless to how he feels about how Stroika is leading them. The Ferengi leader orders McCoy and Troy to be taken back to their cells and that the rest of the prisoners need to be taken to his office. As everyone is being taken away, no one notices that Spock just steps aside into the corner, and then once everybody's gone, he calmly walks back down the hallway. In the Damon's newly acquired office, his first... I believe you were calling him Peon. Crag is informing the leader that he was promised to be able to remove Troy's clothing once they had captured Picard. The Damon agrees with Crag and sends him off to have his fun. Picard objects, but the Ferengi leader reminds him that he has no power anymore. He tells Picard that a Federation captain and a Vulcan ambassador will be great bargaining chips once the Enterprise returns. That is when he notices that Spock is no longer with the group of prisoners. And he is very angry. Comic relief. <laughs> uh, in the cell with Troy and uh, McCoy, Craig arrives to have his fun with her. McCoy protests, but another guard is able to hold him down easily. Troy protests, and as Craig is like forcing her against the wall and about to remove her clothing, unknowingly he has pushed her against the wall where Spock is standing on the opposite side. Spock closes his eyes and he's able to mind meld with the counselor. Once their minds are merged, Troy places her hand on the Ferengi's neck and performs a nerve pinch. The other guard releases McCoy and checks on his fallen comrade. When he does so, Troy leans down and performs the same move on him. Shocked, she looks down at her own hand as Spock steps into the doorway and advises them that they need to retrieve the guard's keys so that they can get on their way. So nobody got hurt. Outside the government building, the Daemon offers a choice to the captured Modalans. They can die here, or they can choose to live the rest of their lives as Ferengi slaves. To everyone's shock, most of the Modalans choose to be the slaves and walk to the other side uh, where the Ferengis are standing. That includes most of Stroika's aides and Owls' followers. In fact, all that remains of the resistors are Stroika, his wife, Owls, and some other random red-headed man. Stroika pleads with his wife to save her own life. She refuses, saying, whatever happens, happens. Before the Ferengi can perform the executions, Picard suggests a deal. He will give the planet to the Ferengi, along with the Enterprise, if the Daemon can beat him in a physical challenge. If Picard wins, the Ferengi forfeit their claim to the world. 
The daemon agrees, and the crew prepare what is called Ferengi Challenge Cubes. Watching from around a corner, Troy asks McCoy and Spock, what the heck are Challenge Cubes? Spock informs her that they're actually telepathic beings encased in the cube, and that they hate being touched. And when they are touched, they, they attack the uh, holder with uh, some horrible mental images. With their hands outstretched, the daemon informs Picard that he has never lost this. Just then, the cubes are dropped into their palms. Picard is immediately assaulted with images of aliens and creatures he has had to face in his last four years on the Enterprise. And we see images of Q, Borg, and some images of the Enterprise exploding. Just when Picard is about to give in to the horrible images, Spock is able to project himself into Picard's thoughts and calm him. He is able to hold back the images long enough for Damon to give in, and Damon just passes out. One of the Ferengi order the arrest of Picard and the others, and then Stroika reminds them that they no longer have any claim on the planet. Spock then stands up and threatens them all with his evil, or not really evil, but his magical Vulcan death grip. And he tells them that he doesn't even have to actually touch them to perform it. The Ferengi say he's bluffing. Then Spock reminds them that Vulcans do not bluff. McCoy is looking after the fallen Damon and notices that he has a neural implant. The neural implant was able to keep him from succumbing to the Challenge Cube's assault. Just then, Riker, Worf, and a group of security men beam down from the Enterprise. Riker states that the Ferengi ship in orbit has suddenly powered down its weapons. The final page is broken into two epilogues. The first one shows Stroika appointing Owls as his second-in-command, and then the second one shows Spock beating O'Brien at poker. O'Brien is shocked that he lost to Spock, who was bluffing, and repeats what he heard, has heard about Vulcans, that they cannot bluff. Spock states that that is a true statement, but Vulcans have the best poker faces in the galaxy. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> so what'd you think? Satisfying ending? Yeah, it, it was good. It was good. Um, Picard was able to uh, beat the daemon, not by physical strength or anything like that, uh, or superior firepower or anything, or a Rambo-esque kind of uh, in-your-face physical thing. He does it by strength of will with the aid of Spock. So that, that's, very, that's a very Picard-esque way of solving something. Yeah, I really hated the with the aid of Spock bit, though. Well, okay. So basically they cheat. <clears throat> they cheat because Spock is able to somehow telepathically... From a distance. From a distance, communicate with Picard. Exactly. But that's that is cheating. I mean, if, if the rules were that you need to hold it until you physically can't hold it anymore, you shouldn't be able to have outside influences helping well, you. I agree. But look at what was at stake. And also, we find out in the end that the Damon cheated too. Right, but they didn't know so, that at the time. Yeah, but come on. I mean, it there would be like them on. having a a. a, a fight to the death which is where i thought they were going to go with it maybe with the light whips yeah. or something yeah. and but, you know, somebody frankly <laughs> shooting the other person lives are at stake here uh the frankies have made that very clear uh walking into that area the the daemon made it clear that he he could kill any of them 
So True. I say cheat all you want. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I understand what you're saying. Right. But it was pretty ama- it was pretty amazing how Spock can do mind melds and oh. do whatever he did with Picard could, from a distance. Could, could I could I give you my top ten list of of why oh, Spock is is uh, is a humanoid Swiss Army knife? All right, sure, go ahead. I love your top ten reasons. <laughs> and by the way, there might actually be ten, but I'm going to tell you that anyway. <laughs> Neck pinches to knock out people quickly and quietly. Very handy. Uh, Swiss Army knife, Spock. Mind melds to know what a person alien is thinking when you can't verbally communicate with it. Very important. In the comics, he was even able to teach a person an entire language in 10 minutes. Now, that's the stuff we've seen in the past. Now, add to that the Harry Houdini invisibility trick. Where he can be in the middle of a crowd one minute, and then the next minute he's, he, you don't see me. I'm in the corner. You don't see me. Another one, getting into Deanna's head through a wall and coexisting enough to give her Vulcan strength and the ability to easily take out two Ferengis that try to attack her. And by the way, Spock can do his neck pinch, not because only because he knows where to pinch them, but because he has the strength to do it. How did Deanna get that? Anyway, uh, the ability to get into Picard's head from a great distance and aid him uh, to undo the, uh, the, the insanity that was being caused by the cube, to help him to hold on to his sanity. And then finally, the ability to bluff about a non-existent Vulcan death grip which is lying, by the way. What a guy. Uh, and like Data, it, you know, like Data, every starship should have one of these guys as standard issue. Right. So they're not, they're not only can do all those amazing things you said, but they're also there so that humans can yell at them when they don't have children <laughs> to yell at. I didn't mention – damn. You are right. <laughs> I missed that one. Uh, I agree with every single one of your, your statements there. They are amazing. They and are it's amazing. really just Spock because we've seen other – Vulcans on ships, and they don't ever seem to be that amazing. Uh, I mean, Doctor Salar and the nah. the guy on Voyager, right? They now, they were just background people. Okay, and what about no, not Tuvok. Now Tuvok, Tuvok did the Vulcan neck pinch, didn't he? Yeah. Or no? Yeah. Okay, he did that. Uh, what about um, T'Pol? T'Pol, I think she did it too. Did she do that? Okay. Well, they should. I mean, come on. But uh, the, and I, I think she did a mind meld at least once, didn't she? Uh, she was mind melded once, but it was it was at that time it was a taboo oh, not thing for Vulcans to do, and it was it was basically Enterprise's rape episode. Oh, she okay. Was raped by another Vulcan because he performed this mind meld, which Vulcans no longer performed. Oh, okay. So it was a mental rape, not physical. Exactly. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, so yeah. So... Now, now, to for the for the story's credit, or at least how I think that they're trying to rationalize his uh, magical telepathic uh, powers in this one, yeah. right. is that in the second issue, I think he does have a conversation with Troy about how how her 
empathic powers are more powerful than she knows or something like that. They have like a little side conversation where she asks him if if they can talk one on one later, and then he mentions that he can sense that she's uh, her telepathic powers or that her empathic powers are are strong or whatever. So I'm I, I'm thinking that's where they're getting that he can control her for the most part um, through the wall. I don't know. And give her Vulcan strength. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. And then maybe he was they're trying to imply that he can do this mind meld at a distance with Picard because they've mind melded in the past and you know, he Picard mind melded with his father and that they have this, this link between Spock and McCoy or Spock and Picard. I don't buy any of that, but I'm okay. just saying I think that might be their justification for these right. these incredible acts that Spock can do. Sure. But and, yeah, I basically think that maybe maybe Peter David turned him into too much of a, a Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh I'm the Jedi. Uh, you can't see me. Right. Uh I mean, that was cool because uh, you kind of lost track a little bit too because they didn't show it to you as you're reading the comic. But um it's like, come on. I mean, all those Ferengis are going to keep their eye on all those guys. Right, especially and, and how they're not going to see Spock. I mean, they want Spock as a hostage. Oh, yeah. And then they spend a whole picture or a whole page yeah. with one, two, three, four, five, six panels uh, showing all the prisoners being escorted away. Right. And then once they turn the corner, Spock just comes out of the shadows and walks the other direction. Exactly. It's uh, it's a cool picture, but yeah, how how the hell did he do that? Yeah, well, that was that that was that was their justification to show you. He could because you couldn't see him. And, and then doesn't we but... even call him on it later in this issue? Like, how the hell? Oh did yeah. That... Well, that was their that was their explanation. Uh, a knack, he right? Says. Yeah. So in all the action stuff, how do you keep on getting lost and stuff, or not being seen or whatever? And he says, some would say I have a knack. It's like, oh, well, yeah. okay. You didn't answer the question, but okay. And and when did he develop this power? Because he never had it in in the old movies and the old shows. No, but he is. It is this is a lot later. <laughs> I never saw his dad doing this kind of weird stuff. No, no, no. Maybe it's something he picked up while he was on Romulus. It could be, could be, and and you know you never know all the things he picked up in all those years between the movies and uh, and the times he'd pop up in Next Gen. Right, he might have gone to Dagobah and trained under Yoda for a while. Exactly, that's what happened. <laughs> the force is strong with you, I think. So this is the uh, scene where we get to see Troy and uh, the Ferengi, or see what the Ferengi was maybe trying to do with Troy. Yes. It was a pretty brutal scene, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, but she it, was definitely uh, very not digging it. Yeah, she was fighting him. Yeah. Um, I thought the graphics they used for showing the pain that Picard was going through was pretty good uh, on page 20. Right. Uh, and even on the page before where they're first showing the Damon's face and why he's all red is interesting, but whatever. And then Picard isn't all red, but he he's obviously got a lot of pain going on. So that I, I like how Picard looked. Not as crazy about the redness of the Damon, but whatever. Um but then that that one on, on twenty where they're showing all those different faces and the and the and the Enterprise blowing up and the interesting thing is I don't recognize everybody. No, 
So maybe, yeah, so there's a guy with some kind of almost like a motorcycle mask kind of kind of helmet on or something. Don't know who he is. Yeah, the paintball helmet. I don't know who he oh, is. Oh, yeah, yeah, paintball, like that, like a paintball mask helmet thing. Uh, and then there's some kind of a uh, monster that looks almost like a gargoyle or something. Yeah, they're uh, in the top right-hand corner. Yeah, very close, like he's going to take a bite out of Picard's head. Very close. Yep, and then the other one I couldn't quite figure out was on on the the top right or the top left, right next to the Ferengi's face. There's a guy right. in like a uh, like a old school motion picture type helmet. Exactly, he looks like one of the security guys right. in the motion picture. Don't, Don't know, know who, who that guy is. is. Yeah, and then obviously it's Q, the one below it. Well, that's an interesting point. Yeah, because I couldn't figure out which one of those two guys was Q. Because they both they both could have been Q. So there, there's two faces, right? You know, one's just a little bit above and to the right of the other, and they both look like they could be Q, but in different outfits. Right. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that one either. Yeah. The Borg's obvious. The other ones were obvious. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it it was a cool picture, and you see Card's clothes getting ripped and torn off. Right. By these these monsters or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Yep. Let's see. Um, but but oh. come on, you gotta admit, were you expecting them to pull out stupid cubes when they're about to have a fight fight for the planet? Well, I'm glad they didn't do a normal fight because that's not Picard's way. But yeah, I mean the, the these cube things. I mean they carry them around with them. I mean they they came out with them boom like that. Right. And mind you, if the daemon says, oh, I've been through these kind of things a lot, you know, maybe, you know, okay, so maybe he's been through this a lot, so he has one of his underlings carrying around a set with tongs. <laughs> with tongs. <laughs> you know, so they, they can't touch him. they got to hold him by tongs. So some guy's walking around with the tongs all the time just in case he gets a challenge. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. And... Is the cube the whole being, or is there a being inside the cube? I was never quite sure. Oh, hmm. Interesting point. I'm assuming that it's inside the cube, because these things are perfect little cubes. They are. They look like a Rubik's Cube. Yep. Filled uh, with hate. They hate. And if there is something inside of it, maybe it's uh, you know totally um, non-physical. Right. Um, that's inside the cube. I don't know, but it's... Uh, very handy, very handy little device they just pulled out of that Peter David pulled out of his orifice. And by the way, by the nebula. So when Troy uh, brings oh, down the first Frankie, that? she says, "By the nebula." We haven't had any of those in a long time. No, we haven't. It sounds like gold key dialogue to me. <laughs> I didn't catch that. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh... <laughs> So at first I was thinking, what did he did he switch? Well, especially from looking at the cover. And by the way, can we talk about the cover for a minute? Yeah, let's do that. Or not, not the cover, but the title page. Or no, oh, okay. no, the cover. No, I do mean the cover. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's rip it apart, shall we? You've already ripped apart that that uh, that Riker looks like a sad sack. Okay, so we got that. The guard is like from the old Madala, you know, the 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 the, the original Trek. Issues. Yeah. It looks the like a Modala guard. Right. So why did they do that? I mean, I mean, we already know the Ferengis are involved. Why, why did they not have a Ferengi there? I don't know. 
Nope, don't know. Although the outfit does look pretty cool. I will say that. The helmet and the uh, and the appellets and all that kind of stuff. It's, you know, it's kind of a cool guard outfit, but still. And then uh, the old man, as you mentioned, doesn't look like McCoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a blue shirt on, but and he's old, but he doesn't really look like McCoy. And the look on Deanna's face. <laughs> she... <laughs> She yeah. looks vacant. I mean, she looks like, oh, you know, it's like, oh, it's she's just got a weird look. On yeah, her face. she has like a, a, a completely dead looking face, but her eyes are like popping out of her head. Almost. Yeah. So is that supposed to be Spock? I mean, I know Spock's supposed to be in her head, but right. is that supposed to be like a Spock face or something? Because Spock's in her head? Oh. I don't know. It, but it's it, it was a very strange picture, I thought. It is. It's uh, her face is very strange. Oh, the artwork is fine. I mean, some of the the people don't look the way you expect them to in some ways, but uh, eh, eh, whatever. So I broke in there and said comic relief, and I in the middle when the Damon realizes that uh, Spock's not there, right? And it's like I said that because, and for those of you that don't have the comic book, you you don't know, but the Damon's the look on the Damon's face was, in my opinion, I took it as a hundred percent comic relief. I mean, it just reminded me of some stupid, and I'm sorry I'm going to say this because people love Manja, and I love Manja too, but sometimes the Manja characters, when they get surprised at something, they go from being kind of sort of realistic into being this goofy, cartoony, over-the-top kind of over-facial emotion, speed racer kind of look, and it's like, and that's what the Damon was kind of drawn like, and I, I just... I took it as uh, kind of stupid humor. <laughs> hey, myself. Yeah, no, uh, it, it obviously was. I mean, the whole idea that they got up there without him knowing, and then him suddenly realizing it and screaming, "Where is he?" Yeah, is is <laughs> comic relief for multiple reasons. Yeah, and I don't want to say stupid because it, 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 this is a this is a very good comic. It's right. just It's just you know, on the one hand, you're trying to make these guys threatening and stuff. Uh, you know, to, to ratchet up the uh, the danger and stuff, mm-hmm. and then you show them there looking, you know, like some kind of comic uh, silent movie overreaction. No. <laughs> I think it could have been done differently. But right to the the right of that picture is an ad for Star Trek: The Next Generation, uh, the Columbia House VHS. Um, oh my god, the VHS! Did, oh, oh my god, for four ninety five only. For the first one, for the encounter at Farpoint, this or yeah. uh, VHS, and then every month after that, or so four or six weeks, you would get another two episodes at a low wow. low price of twenty dollars. Wow! And I subscribed to that. Oh, did you? <laughs> Of course Sucker. I did. Sucker. Uh, I found those. I found those VHS tapes the other day. Uh, I have them boxed up in my garage. Did they? Oh, your garage. So they've been through yeah. the heat and everything. They're worthless. Well, <laughs> especially now. They always were. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, uh, two two episodes for twenty bucks. That's ridiculous. I, I was such a sucker for signing up for that. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's the, that was the going rate back then. And videotape is, is a horrible medium. Uh, I mean, we say that now because of all the options we have. But I mean, that was that was like magic back in the day. Yeah. Uh, but really, it's not – I mean, I 
when I was in high, late high school and college, when these things first came out, yes, that marks me for how old I am. Um, they was like, oh my God, this is a technological bo- bonus. It was just wonderful. Because uh, the big hero geek, I used to uh, record uh, audio tapes that I would listen to like in car trips and whatever. That was my collection, audio tapes, cassettes of, uh, of Star Trek episodes. And when I was able to actually record them on videotape, oh my God, I went to town on it. <laughs> I had all these things recorded. I never bought any any one, a pre-made one. I always had the the tapes um, that I recorded off the TV. Right. But, but then years later, I went back to look at some of these things just for the heck of it. And after like I don't I don't know how many years it was. After ten years, twelve years, I don't know what it was. But the magnetic. Um, little magnetic particles on the tape started just degrading to the point that it they wouldn't play back. Oh, it wouldn't even play? Wouldn't even play. Oh, wow. So if you have a VHS player and you and you pull one of those out and pop it in, that is if it doesn't get eaten by the mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it may or may not work. Mm. Well, I might uh, go pop one of these in here yeah. one of these days and, yeah. and give it a look. Yeah, see what happens. I might Cause... ruin my VHS player, but oh well. Well, do you really use it? <laughs> no, I don't use it. I've got I've got a couple of VHS players around here, and I've started throwing them out. <laughs> I mean, I think we still have one just in case we want to try to try to play something, but yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. Anything else on this issue? Nada. Just that I enjoyed it. It was a uh, it was a good long um, miniseries. Right, and the uh, the banter between the the two older uh, crew members from the Enterprise, I really enjoyed. Yes. Um, if if I mean, if anybody else is a fan of that, uh, which I'm sure if you're listening to this, you probably are. Uh, I highly recommend the uh, novel crossover by Michael Jan Friedman. It's a next generation novel, but it has McCoy, Spock, and uh, Scotty in it. Mm. And they're all the, the three of them have to work together again, and and that that book also is fantastic because you have the the banter between the three of them, right? Which is uh, I highly recommend uh, that book if if cool. you don't have it already. Very cool. Uh, the last thing I had, and 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 it has nothing to do with the book, but it has to do with the letter page in issue number uh, three, if if you don't mind. Oh, please do. There's a person named Carol Westover. Uh, mm-hmm. She wrote a um, letter, and I'm not going to read the whole letter, but there's one sentence that I thought was actually pretty interesting. So this came out in 1991. Keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. All right. So she writes – she says, The history of Star Trek, proof positive that without Gene Roddenberry it wouldn't exist, shows that in 20 years without Gene's guidance – people will most likely say that it is old hat and give up on the dream. Which is funny because around right at this time, 1991, is when I think Gene Roddenberry dies. And today, 2012, is about 20 years after after she wrote that letter. And I don't, I don't think, I don't think she had the foresight uh, that, uh, that, that we have now. I mean, we, we still live in the dream. Star Trek still is popular now. Is I mean, it had its 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 downward slide there for a few years, but I think it's 
just as popular now as it as it was back in the past, don't you think? Um, not as popular. I mean, it's no. not as mainstream, but it's still there. Well, it's still a presence in in a lot of people's lives. I, I think it peaked, and I think it's still pretty high, but I think there's a peak that is gone. Which, when you have a TV show on every week. Uh, to help build up new fans and to keep it in people's minds, great. Um, there is a Big Bang Theory, thank God, uh, and shows that make reference to it that crack me up. But, um, you know, J.J. Abrams brings out a movie once every, I don't know, four years? He's, he doesn't seem to be in much of a hurry. I, 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 th I, I do think that she was a little short-sighted. I, th I think it's still a great property and something that uh, I certainly continue to like now more as much or more than I ever did. But and uh, I think I, it, I, it's obviously still had legs even though Gene yeah. Roddenberry was no longer. Oh yeah. Right. Well, you know, I got to say the early issues of uh, Next Gen uh, where clearly Roddenberry had a lot of influence. I think it was very derivative of the original series. And I think I might have said this before, but uh, definitely when Rick Berman and some other people uh, started exercising a little more control with what was going on, I think uh, I think we saw a really high quality level in the scripts and, and things, and it went interesting places next gen. Right, and then Deep Space Nine as well. I mean, once uh, right once you had a series that was, you know, not not at all done by Gene Roddenberry. Right. I, I think it, they kept it in the same vein, but they, they went different directions. Right. Right. And they made choices that I'm sure Roddenberry wouldn't have made. But they also kept faithful to it. So Right. I mean they didn't they didn't stray too far. I mean, they had the the war, but it, there's always going to be war when you have, you know, conflicts oh, of people. Well yeah, and I don't think Roddenberry would ever shy away from having a good conflict. Or have, having the uh, Dominion War. I mean, I'm sure he'd be all up for that. <laughs> you think so? Because I thought he always kind of wanted this utopian universe. Wow. It's uh, I. That would make boring TV, though. It would make. I mean, why, why were there why were there Klingons around then? I think the Federation was supposed to be utopian, but they had to deal with all these jerks <laughs> just to keep things interesting. I mean, nothing's more boring than Utopia. Well, I I think. Of course, I've never really experienced Utopia, but uh, it just seems a little, little boring. But I agree, yeah. and especially uh, if you had to watch it every week. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So, all right. So that being said, I guess unless you had anything else, I don't want, I don't want to cut you off. I have nothing else to say, man. All right. So then we'll uh, close up issue number or episode number seventy-three and. Everybody come back next week for episode 74. We got a good one planned. So until then, I guess we'll let everybody go. See you next time, everybody, on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. 
or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.